Chapter Twelve of In the Pecos Country by Edward Ellis. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twelve The Young Captive. The experience of Fred Munson as a prisoner among the Apaches was one which he was not likely to forget to his dying day. From the back of the steed where he was held a captive he gained an indistinct view of the short, savage struggle between Lone Wolf and Sut Simpson, and more than once he concluded that it was all over with the daring hunter who had ventured out with the purpose of befriending him. But when the chieftain returned to his warriors alone, and without any scalp strung to his girdle, he knew that the fellow had pulled through all right. Lone Wolf was so exasperated at his treatment that he hovered around for a short time with his entire force in the hope of balancing accounts with his old enemy. But he soon saw, however, the utter impossibility of that in the present shape of things, and so he summoned all his warriors together and moved off in a northerly direction, his purpose being, as the hunter said, to return with a force which would prove itself invincible. Fred expected to be handed back to the redoubtable chieftain, who, he supposed, would subject him to the most cruel kind of treatment, but that worthy did not seem desirous of receiving his charge back again, and permitted him to remain with his deputy. The lad did not know whether to be pleased by this or not, for his custodian was the most repulsive-looking being he had ever seen. He was deeply pitted with smallpox, and the enormous nose which he had once possessed had been splintered by a blow from a tomahawk so that in no respect at all did it resemble that useful and ornamental organ. There was an enormous breadth, too, between the eyes, or rather temples, the face tapering down to the chin so rapidly that the contour from the front suggested the shape of a wedge. An Indian almost invariably has good teeth, but the mouth of the one in question was filled with snags that projected in every direction, his chin was excessively retreating, and to add to it all his countenance was daubed with different colored paint and such fantastic streakings that an Adonis himself would have appeared hideous. Such was the jailer of Fred, who heard him addressed once or twice by a name which sounded to him as if it were Wauko. He was, in fact, one of the most famous warriors of the Hikaria Apaches, his fame depending as much upon his cruelty as upon his prowess. There are legends in the southwest crediting Lone Wolf with having shown some slight signs of mercy on one or two occasions, but nothing of the kind was ever said of his lieutenant Wauko, who brained the innocent babe with the same demon-like enjoyment that he silenced the pleadings of old age and blooming womanhood. Fred, as a matter of course, knew nothing of these characteristics, but the appearance of the redskin himself was so repulsive that he could not look at him without a shudder of terror. The lad sat on the blanket directly in front of Waoko, who held him in place by passing his arm about him. Such was his position when the entire company headed northward and struck into a sweeping gallop. It was comparatively early in the evening when the start was made, and the flight was continued without interruption through the night, the horses scarcely ever varying from that same everlasting canter. The novelty of his situation, and the interest which Fred felt as to what was to be done with him in the end, kept him wide awake for a time, and he indulged in all sorts of surmises and conjectures. Without brother or sister, 
and with only one parent, his father, to whom he was deeply attached, his greatest suffering was the thought of the sorrow that would be his father's when he should come to know the dreadful fate of his only son. Such were his thoughts when he had no hope of ever seeing him again, but when he reflected that Mickey O'Rooney was still absent from the settlement, and that Sut Simpson was likely to take up the hunt, a strong hope arose within his breast and encouraged him to believe that he might escape from the Apaches. "'Ah, if I only had my handsome hurricane here,' he murmured, as he recalled the figure of his sinewy and symmetrical steed. "'Once on his back, and with a clear field before me, all the Indians in the southwest couldn't catch me. If the hunter would only think to bring him along, it would help a good deal, but I don't suppose he will.' Then his thoughts wandered away to his father and the tears came to his eyes, and the sorrow lurked deep in his heart, nourished by the thought that very likely they would never meet again, and his father's lonely heart would be sorrowful all the rest of his life as he thought of how his only child had been murdered by the Apaches. The steady sinking and rising of the Indian's horse gradually became monotonous, and after a time the boy's nodding head drooped, and Wauko knew from the pressure against his breast that his captive was asleep. Could he have had his way, he would have strangled the life out of him as he lay thus unconscious, but he was carrying him for Lone Wolf, the chief, and he dared not disobey him. It is not often that the sleeper rests his head upon the bosom of his enemy, yet such was the case in the present instance. The swaying, rocking motion of the bed of Fred Munson not only lulled him to sleep, but retained him in as sweet and dreamless slumber as though he were resting upon his bed at home where no thought of the treacherous Indian ever entered his head. The redskin sat his steed like a statue. Lone Wolf had entrusted the young captive to his charge, and he would hold him responsible for his safe deliverance, that was all. He might have slept for twenty-four hours, using his scarred and evil chest as a pillow, without protest from him. When at last Fred opened his eyes, it was several minutes before he recalled his situation. It was just beginning to grow light, and when he saw the figures of horses with their riders he remembered the scene of the night before. When he turned his head and saw the horrid face of Wauko, no doubt then remained where he was but he looked upon a far different scene from that upon which he had closed his eyes. Instead of being upon the broad, sweeping prairie, he was among the mountains. They towered upon every hand, and the war-party had halted in a sort of canyon or valley where they seemed shut out from the outer world. "'Where are we?' asked Fred, thinking it polite to open a conversation with his guardian with a view of conciliating him but the redskin did not seem to be in a mood for conversation, or it may be that he did not possess a very profound knowledge of the English tongue, for he made no reply. After a time the lad ventured upon another modest remark, but receiving no attention he concluded it hardly worth his while to attempt to work any further in that direction, and he gave over the effort. As soon as the halt was made, Lone Wolf gave an address to his warriors, which Fred believed to be a sort of harangue, intended to incite them to deeds of greater daring than any they had as yet shown. 
The Redskins became much excited and answered his appeals with angry shouts, grunts, and gestures. No doubt, had he chosen to lead them, they would have rushed back to a second attack upon New Boston without the addition of another warrior to their number. The oratory of Lone Wolf was not very graceful, but it was very effective. He knew how to appeal to his followers in a way that went directly to their hearts. End of chapter 12 Read by Thomas Rose